Our Lord and our God, we humbly come before you this evening to feast upon your word. We pray that as your word is delivered, that we would enjoy the means of grace through which you have given us in prayer and in preaching. And I pray, God, that we would be edified, encouraged and challenged, Lord, in our prayer lives. We thank you for this means of grace. We pray, God, that we would value it to the utmost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight we are going to continue on with our series of the essential truths of the Christian faith. As we do, and as we have notes here on the screen, I'd like to, to warn you, or at least give you a, a preface as we begin. There are times that as I'm preaching, especially when we have the notes on the screen, that you're trying to write down everything. And sometimes as you're writing down everything, you could miss some of the things. So as we do that, you don't have to write down everything that's on the screen. Write down notes, write down things that are a good thought for you. But these notes will all be available for you. So if you ever feel like I didn't get all the notes, I will do my best to make sure that they get to you somehow, some way. Amen. Tonight, we are going to discuss a topic that most of us, if we're honest, would agree that we fall short of or fall short in and don't do enough of. And that is the subject of prayer. Let's go to Philippians chapter four, verse four. You should be there. And if not, it's on the screen. It says this. The word of God says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I have heard it said that. A church that has a night of prayer throughout the week where the local church, that local body gathers to beseech the Lord together is the most unattended gathering in the list of meetings that that local church may have throughout the week. Out of all the events and all the gatherings that a local body may have throughout the week, if prayer happens to be on that list. It is the most unattended gathering of all the gatherings the church has, which is very sad. For whatever reason, people avoid the great privilege that they have been given through Christ to come and commune with God in prayer. We rightfully value the preaching and hearing of the word of God. When you come, most of you are excited about hearing the word of God. You understand the great value in God's word. We understand preaching to be a means of grace through which God teaches, reproves, corrects, trains in righteousness, strengthens and encourages us. Second Timothy 3.16. However, we underestimate the great price that was paid for us to come to God. And be heard by him in prayer. We undervalue that place and time when we can commune with God in prayer. 
We value the time of hearing the word of God, but we devalue the time of God hearing us in prayer. Why? We often see this time of prayer as a a nuisance to our time rather than an investment of our time or a means of grace. And I will keep saying that phrase to which we grow closer to God. Even as I say this, some of you are falling asleep. Maybe it needs to be colder in here. Ray, could you turn it down, please? You're sucking in each other's air. And as you are, you are slowly drifting into amnesia or as I'll be on Tuesday, uh, whatever it's called. Anesthesia. I didn't mean amnesia. (laughs) But let us be in awe of this great truth. That we, God's people, have been given the privilege to talk to God. And because we are his children, he hears us. Feel the weight of that. Not only does God hear us, but God also speaks to us. And you may ask, I've never heard verbally God speak to me. Of course you have. Of course you have. God has spoken verbally to you through his word. Each time you open his infallible word, he is communicating to his people. Of course, you've heard God speak to you. God also communicates to us in nonverbal ways through his providence. Meaning this, that as the events of time in our life and throughout the world take place, God is showing that he is actively involved in the affairs of this world and the affairs and events of your life. And oftentimes... They are the events and affairs that you have been bringing to God on a consistent basis. And then you see some kind of action in the place that you've been praying. Well, the providence of God is evidence that God is hearing you. Amen. Amen. And although you did not hear a, a verbal response, an audible response per se, you witnessed that God has heard you by the outcome of that thing that you have been pursuing or seeking God for. Prayer is one of the means of grace through which we commune with God. Commune with God meaning share or have fellowship with God. So every time you are praying to God, you are, there is a fellowship going on. There is a sharing going on. There is a communion going on between you and God that is unique, that is special, and that is a means of grace through which God helps you to grow, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be challenged, to be corrected. Don't overlook That just as preaching the word of God is a means of grace through which God teaches, reproves, corrects, trains and righteousness, etc. So also prayer, again, is a means of grace through which you and I are corrected, through which you and I are edified, encouraged and where faith grows is on your knees. The great theologian Charles Hodge declared that prayer is the converse of the soul with God. It is in prayer and through prayer that we express our love and adoration for God. It is through prayer that we pour out the anguish of our souls and the anguish of our hearts. It is through prayer that we express our gratitude to God, offer petitions and supplications to our God. The Bible says in Psalm 5, 1, David prayed, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you, I do pray. David knew all too well the communion that is found with God in prayer. 
I've heard many people ask, in light of the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, why is there any need for prayer to God if God is going to do whatever he wants anyways? And it's a valid question, but I want you to think about the question. The question is asked, whether knowingly or unknowingly, as if there are contradictions in the Bible. Listen to me. The person who asks may not realize that they are implying contradictions, but nevertheless, there is an implication of a contradiction, and here it is. Because God is absolutely sovereign, and that's that's what the Bible teaches, why then do we need to pray, which the Bible also commands and teaches? Do you hear the implication of contradiction? If God is sovereign, as the Bible teaches, and we are to pray, as the Bible teaches, then what's the use of one or the other? The fact of the matter is this. God is sovereign and he also commands us to pray. The mystery that is found there hopefully will be subtly revealed throughout this teaching. But there is a great mystery there, is there not? That although God is completely in control, he also asks us to pray. These two truths are not inconsistent with one another because God ordains the means as well as the ends for his divine purposes. And here's what I mean by that. God uses the means, which is prayer, through which he will ultimately bring his sovereign will to pass. Does that mean that we can change what God has planned through our prayers? Absolutely not. It does mean this, though, that you obeying the command of God to pray, that when you obey the command of God to pray, listen, you participate in the sovereign will of God by asking his will to be done. And that in this, you ultimately trust that his will, his knowledge, his ultimate plan is greater than your finite mind could ever understand or imagine. Jesus prayed. And let me say again, Jesus prayed. God in the flesh. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. There's the petition. And here is the trust in God. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. Here is the command to pray. And here is the trust in the sovereignty of God. Here is the command to pray. And here is the trust in the providence of God and the ultimate plan of God. Found in the mouth of God in the flesh. So if God in the flesh prays that way, how much more should we finite, sinful people. This must be the conclusion to all of the petitions that we present before God. We can present our requests before God and trust that the sovereign God of the universe knows what is best for our lives. So we ultimately and finally leave our lives into the hands of the sovereign God whose will will be done and whose will is perfect. Amen. Be fervent in your prayers. Before God, but at the end of your prayer, finally, be submissive to his perfect will. Many have said that praying your will be done is evidence of a lack of faith. That if you pray your will be done, you don't really believe what you're asking for. That what you're asking for, if you pray, let your will be done, is something that God, you believe God is incapable of handling. I think quite the opposite is true, though. I think that praying your will be done is ultimately trusting in the will of God. And it is the ultimate expression of true faith in God. Faith in the fact that 
you're God and I'm not. So let your will be done. Praying in the ultimate fact that God is omniscient and he knows the beginning and the end. And he loves you no matter what happens in the beginning and what happens in the end. Whether he gives you what you ask for or does not give you what you ask for. His love is displayed in each and every single one of the, the replies, whether it is in our favor or whether it is not in our favor. The Bible promises to those who belong to him, it ultimately will be his, for his glory and for your good. When we pray, we are to address our prayers to God alone or to the distinct persons of the Trinity, meaning, meaning that when you pray, it is acceptable to pray to Jesus. It is acceptable to pray to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we know that Jesus Christ is our mediator. And when we pray, we acknowledge his office as mediator between us and the Father. It is only through Christ that we come to the Father. Amen? We can pray to the Holy Spirit because he is our helper. He is our comforter. So when we pray, 1 Timothy 2.5 concerning the mediation of Christ in Romans 8.28 tells us that when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That when we don't know what to pray, he is there to help us in our prayers. Tonight, though, I would like to take a few moments to share with you specifically how we are to properly approach God in prayer. Not necessarily the length of time that you spend in prayer, not necessarily what you should pray for in prayer or what you should ask for again in prayer. But how you approach God when you pray. This is to every single person in here. So I encourage you, if you're falling asleep, slap yourself in the face. Because this will benefit you as you grow in knowledge and understanding and in relationship with our God. Many teach that you can come to God in any kind of way that you want. That you can address him any kind of way that you want. But this is not what is displayed for us in scripture. So in light of that, how do we approach God when we approach him in prayer? Number one, we approach him with sincerity. When we approach God in communion with him in prayer, we must come to him with sincere hearts, flippant prayers and are, that are empty and insincere. Listen, are mockery to God and are mocking God. When you pray to God with insincere prayers, whether they are praying, whether you are praying over your food or whether you are praying for the person that you simply refuse to show grace to. Praying a prayer over your food that is flippant or which I am very guilty of or praying a prayer over someone that you don't really care for and that you don't really mean. This is a mockery to God. Insincere prayers are a mockery to God. And let that be a warning to you the next time you pray to God without remembering who, you, who it is that you're addressing and who it is that knows you all the way down to the morrow of who you are. The Bible says, speaking of believers who are privileged to approach God, Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true or sincere heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The, ins the insincere approach to God is an offense to God. Do you feel the weight of that? I hope it should cause you to lead or at least segue into our next point. And here's why you should feel the weight of this. Because of our second point in which we approach God 
being reverent toward God. As I said, when we commune with God in prayer, we must never forget who it is that we are speaking to. Coming to God in an insincere manner, overlooking the fact that he knows your heart and he knows your mind. Coming to him with a flippant prayer as if he does not know your heart and he does not know your mind. And your flippant religious prayer is going to be acceptable to him because you called out to him. Who do we think we are? How great do we think we are that we could just say something cavalier and insincere to God and that he would accept it even though he knows the insincerity of our hearts? Who are we speaking to? This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the great I am. Listen, this is the one who formed the foundations of the earth. This is the one who tells the sun to rise and tells the waters of the ocean to go no further. This is the one to whom calls forth rain from the sky and tells the winds to go from the east to the west. Who do we think we are when we approach God in an insincere, flippant manner or as if we have a bone to pick with him? He will say to us, as he said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And Job, throughout that conversation, toward the end of all of that, says, forgive me. I am a man of dust to address God like we would address earthly friends is completely disrespectful to the God of the universe. I can remember the the disrespectful ways in which ministers would talk about the way that they commune with God. Hey, God, now, Lord, you're going to have to explain, God, why you do that? If you don't believe me, you should. (laughs) So on and so on. And here's 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 the the height of their pride is this. They speak to God as if they are on an equal playing field with God. Let us be ever so careful never to make that grave decision. To speak to God as if we were on an even playing field with God. As if he were the lesser and we were the greater. As if he loves us so much that we could speak to him any way we want to and he would not be disrespected. Just as we would pay respect to a government official or to a soldier of war. We must go beyond those uh, displays of reverence and show Before our God that we recognize him to be the supreme majesty of all the earth. God said to Moses when he approached the burning bush in Exodus 3, 5. Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you stand or the place where you are standing is holy ground. Just as a side note and just so that you know, this area up here. This is not an altar. And this is not holy ground that there are times that we have seen on TV or been or have it has been displayed before us that coming up to the front area of a church is a specific kind of holy place. It is not. The altar was left with the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament. This is a room. This is a building. You are the 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 dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Do not think that there is some special location in this church, even specifically here, that is more holy than the next. 
The only reason why this place is elevated is so that the word of God can be seen as being elevated. And so that you can see me because I'm really small. God warned Moses that when he came before him, he was not approaching a king like Pharaoh. He was approaching the almighty one to whom when we approach, you must do so with reference. And finally, we must approach God with humility. When we approach God, we must remember who he is, but we must also remember who we are. We are sinful, adulterous people, idolatrous people who have rebelled against God. But God, in his loving kindness, drew us near to or drew near to himself, drew us near, drew near to us and drew us near to him. He adopted us as his children, foreknowing and foreloving us from the foundation of the world. And he now invites us to come boldly to him. However, that verse in Hebrews, let us come boldly down to the throne of grace is misapplied, I think, in the sense that so-called believers misconstrue the word boldly. Let us come boldly for let us come arrogantly. As if they have been now given some type of, of authority to command God to obey their every single desire or their every desire, every whim of their heart. This, dear friends, is a great folly. Let us never approach God as if we have been given the power to command God, the one who holds the universe in his hands. Let us always come before God with great humility. With that, I'd like to read to you Psalm 8, which says this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the person who recognizes who God is and also David who recognizes who he is. Who, are, who am I that you are even mindful of me? I look at all of your creation and of all the majestic things you have created and all of the majesty that you are, you are mindful of me. Let us come before God with that type of humility. Let us remember that when we pray, it is a means of grace through which we are strengthened, corrected, challenged, and edified. Let us remember that ultimately we will trust in the will of God for our lives and we know that he is all-knowing. And all loving. And therefore we trust in his infinite wisdom. When we approach God, let us approach him with sincere hearts. Let us revere our great king. And know that we are humble servants. Who have been blessed to serve in the court of our king. And let us never neglect the benefits of being in communion with God. Let us never undervalue or underestimate the cost that was paid by Christ. On the cross to split the veil from top to bottom so that we can now enter 
boldly, but humbly into the presence of God and have fellowship with our great father who always lends an ear to his adopted children that he has called his own. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for giving us the blessing of approaching you in communion through prayer. We pray that we would not neglect this means of grace, but that we would evermore pursue times in which we can be alone with you. In which you can edify, strengthen, encourage, challenge, correct us. And we pray, God, that in those times we would learn more of who you are and learn more of who we are. And that we would grow ever closer, God, to you and that it would be evident in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.